Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, Doug Ritchie. Doug is a pastor, a Missouri House of Representatives member. He's on the House Budget Committee. He's specifically a pastor at Pisgah Baptist Church in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. He's a friend of mine. Doug, it's tremendous to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Strand, longtime listener, first-time guest. It's very exciting to, uh, to crack that barrier with you today. Yes. So thank you for joining me. And thank you for welcoming me. In studio, even. Yes, that's right. So you are a Missouri representative. As I just alluded to, you're also a pastor. In fact, on your campaign website, you successfully ran a campaign. You got 57.8% of the vote in your district, I yes. should add. So yes. congratulations. Thank you. Belatedly. It's not really belatedly, but after the fact. Well, no, I, I appreciate yeah. this. Thank you. You ran in November 2018 for the Missouri House of Representatives, District 38, and you won. And on your website, though, you said this, I'm a husband, father, veteran, pastor, and a constitutional conservative. I'm not a politician. I'm running for state representative. Again, you've since won because I'm a neighbor who believes in serving for the good of others. Now that, Doug, is not frankly what every uh, candidate for public office uh, describes themselves as. Why, why did you say that? Well, one, it's true, right? You, you want to say things that, that are true. I mean, that, that's important uh, ethically. And uh, certainly is. as a pastor, as a, as a believer in Christ, I believe that uh, we need to reflect who we actually are and the way we speak, right, in a way that it honors the Lord and, and is good for others. So I, I, I put that on there uh, for a reason. I think that in, in many respects, uh, what we are seeing uh, in our society is, is a breakdown in trust. That, that goes without saying. Um, I, I do think that as much as is possible, um, we ought to, um, by God's grace, to operate as altruistically as possible, uh, looking out for the, the well-being of other people, looking out for the needs of others ahead of our own, and and as we do so, to make sure that that is a reflective of, uh, of the goodness, the kindness, compassion, the grace, glory of Christ, right? So, Amen. Great answer. Um, thank you for it. It's interesting to me because on this, uh, on this bio, this description that you give uh, for why you're running, uh, there's a number of things I'd like to, to hear about, including veteran, you know, how you've, how you've served your country. But first, you identify yourself as a constitutional conservative. Now, that's very interesting because um, I would guess that a fair amount of, let's say, younger evangelicals would not necessarily even know to use this term. Um, hopefully, some of them would qualify you under that category. You would hope. How do we balance, Doug, being not just a Christian in your case, but a pastor um, mm-hmm. with being a constitutional conservative? How have you put these two things together uh, in your life and career? Sure. Well, one, I, I do value um, what that document uh, has afforded us uh, as a people, right? Um, there was a tremendous cost uh, in even bringing that document into being. And, you know, the collective wisdom at the time uh, and how in God's providence things were brought to bear uh, that uh, secured for us uh, rights and liberties uh, any document establishing a form of government that identify the fact that many of those rights and liberties are rights and liberties not given by the government, right? Mm-hmm. But rather we, re- we have those, they're, in, they're inalienable, they're from our creator. 
and it is the government's responsibility to preserve those, right? So uh, in many ways, uh, it's interesting uh, the the way in which uh, both of my uh, proverbial wor- worlds, uh, you know, come into contact with one another. As a, as a pastor, I, I'm absolutely con, con, convinced of and committed to expositional preaching, for instance, mm-hmm. exegeting a text. You go to the text, the text means what the text means, and you, you try to understand that appropriately and then apply it as, as, is, um, as is the case, right? Well, when you go to the Constitution, I think uh, uh, Justice Scalia mm-hmm. um, in, in many ways reflects a similar commitment, and I think rightfully so, awesome. that when you look at the Constitution of the United States— uh, that document means something. We need to understand it in its in its context, what the words mean, and then appropriately apply it within the context and within the confines of what it means. And for me, that kind of encapsulates what it means to be a constitutional conservative. We we hold to the truths of the Constitution as as it is identified there, and uh, we will do what we can to make sure that that as as those in governing authority, that that document actually holds us at yeah. bay, right? Um, and and it, it holds government in check. So I, I do believe it is important to be a constitutional conservative. So this is kind of one of those areas of, um, let's call it public theology or theology more broadly, where we would say, yes, one document, one source is ultimate. The scripture yes, has right. ultimate authority. And you alluded to that, you said that already. And, and you're acting upon that even now, still in your role as pastor, praise God. And yet we wouldn't say, there being an ultimate authority means that there's no other authority we would necessarily recognize in this life as believers or even beyond our believing status citizens. Sure. But, so, but let's, let's keep it on Christians for a minute. We do have this ultimate document, but we also can have documents that are not of ultimate importance, and we never slot anything else in there besides Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16, and yet there are other important documents. Is, yes. that, is this accurate, do you think? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you are uh, familiar with the principle of subsidiarity, uh, which I think in many ways does reflect a biblical ethic, a biblical worldview, in the sense that God established um, in, his, in his kind providence the family, right, um, after the individual Adam was created, right? So, you know, when you look at the way that the, that the Word of God identifies responsibility within various spheres, uh, as well as in a very direct way, the way that God speaks to us about even government itself, we know that God establishes uh, spheres of authority, and with those uh, with those um, structures of authority come uh, the commensurate responsibilities. That's right. right. So um, you know, I absolutely believe that as an as an individual, we have a have a, a responsibility for self governance. Right. That's as much a right as it is a responsibility. And and thankfully, uh, as as you all know. Um, you know, identified as a part of the fruit of the Spirit is that self-control, right? And, and, and that's one of those things that we, we value. But that being said, yes, absolutely. I mean, when we look at, when we look at the Word of God, there is nothing that, that comes close to um, uh, the authority that the Word of God has over us. That being said, uh, we also recognize that within the confines of that authority, um, we look for those ways in which we can communicate with one another um, effectively for the good of, of society uh, in the same way that we would look to, for ways to communicate effectively for the good of a congregation in our confessional documents, our doctrinal statements, right? Uh, those aren't on par with Scripture, but they are very important to us. That's exactly right. I, I fear that a lot of um, folks today 
because of our supercharged political climate, might think, might fall into the trap of thinking that the Bible's their ultimate authority and there effectively are no other authorities. Um, uh, another discussion we could have relatedly is that, sure, maybe God has ordered our spiritual universe, but there's no outside order to the, to the cosmos that we can even point to. Right. And yet I think both of us would say there are other authorities. They may be subordinate to the Word of God, as you just well said, uh, and, and there may be other forms of order in the cosmos, even beyond what we can specifically see in terms of the Word of God ordering our spiritual life. Here's an interesting passage for us to think together about, for example, along these lines. Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And, and Jesus famously responds, um, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And so there, we're used to thinking and hearing about that verse, perhaps, as if um, Jesus is... is only talking about uh, giving to God what is his. But actually, tell me if you agree, you may go a different way, but actually I think Jesus is saying there's a legitimate sphere for Caesar. Not that Caesar's going to um, transact that sphere, rule that sphere well, right? but there, but underneath God, Caesar has some kind of authority. Absolutely. You, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's commensurate with uh, so many other parts parts of Scripture. Uh, that speak directly to the fact that we as believers in particular and in the, in the world in general um, are obligated by God to be respectful and obedient to governing authorities, right? I mean, that's obviously yes. an acknowledgement that uh, there is an appropriate sphere um, that government operates within where they have a God-given responsibility to look out for the well-being of human society. And with that responsibility comes the authority, even to the point in Romans 13, of the power of the sword, right? That's right. There's a sense in which, and it's it's a little awkward for me. I've I've crossed that proverbial uh, line now in, in terms of being one of those governing authorities, but you know, just pastorally, I have communicated over the years that there's a sense in which it's appropriate to say to citizens that there is a healthy fear of government that should be in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that that is, we are taught that in Romans 13, right? Um, there is a role that the government is to play. And those who, who operate in a way that is in violation of the appropriate laws of man should fear government because there is a, um, there's accountability for their unlawful actions, right? Yes. So, Yeah, that's really important. That, we don't often think about that. I, I, I really enjoy what you're saying. That's why I wanted to talk to you personally, because you really are a Christian who has public square concern and isn't just, you know, sort of ranting at the TV or something like this, like a, or at social media, like a lot of us are tempted to do, but you're, you're stepping out into the arena and you're trying to make a difference, a salt and light difference uh, in this sphere. What have you seen thus far in your time in Jefferson City? You, uh, you're, you're on the House Budget Committee. It's a very important committee, actually. You've been named by the Missouri Times, a freshman to watch, uh, for example, in May 2019. So, uh, so we're starting to get a little bit of impact almost, I would say, even though you haven't been there that long. What have you seen so far being in the corridors of Missouri state power that has both, let's say, encouraged and discouraged you? Give us a sense. Sure. So it, it is it is true that uh, the majority of measures that come before the House and the Senate as well, um, there is definitely bipartisan support for, you know, our votes are near unanimous, if not unanimous, on, on many of those measures that come up. Uh, if that were not the case, uh, government couldn't function, right? Mm-hmm. It's those lightning rod issues that, that uh, divide um, our, uh, unfortunately, divide us today 
but I, I would say in many respects, though, uh, there's there's a healthy division there. Um, it, on many of these issues, there should be division. Um, yeah. I, I'm influenced in many ways, I, I'm sure, that, that, as you are, by even what Kuiper identifies in terms of the various the, the party system, right? He identifies the fact that in, in the world of man, mm-hmm. that there really ought to be multiple parties, never within the church, but within, within the world of man, within, mm-hmm. within hum, human society, as we're trying to function and, and order ourselves, uh, there really ought to be um, at least a couple of parties in order to, to hold at bay the influences that would undermine uh, that prayer that, that every believer has prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Mm. So we, we desperately want to see in life today, not yeah. just in heaven, but today, those things that reflect the goodness, the kindness, the, the beauty and character of, of, of God, our creator, right? Mm-hmm. And as we're working toward those things, we know we're going we're gonna to come up against resistance. Well, right there, you have at least two different perspectives, right? Mm. So when, when I'm walking the halls of, of Jeff City, uh, the, the, they're the capital, what, what has been encouraging is the fact that um, the hyper-partisanship uh, is an issue. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say it, it doesn't exist. It does sure. exist. Sure. But uh, that is in a context where uh, those, those critical issues of the day are, are being hammered out. And, and in some respects, I would say that that, that structure we have in our, our governmental approach, the, the philosophy that we operate with, is good mm. because if we had in many ways the the issues of the day um the positions that are held are, are truly mutually exclusive you know yes. i hear oftentimes why can't we just find middle ground why can't just just agree to to disagree and just just sing kumbaya and just you know pass some things and just get along well the, the reality is uh, you have you have very divergent views on some of these issues right and there's no middle ground that you can that you really can mark out. So at the end of the day, one view is going to win, mm. and I want to be a part of doing what I can um, as a steward of the opportunities and the the, the 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 skills, abilities, giftings, what have you that God has, has blessed me with, uh, to do what I can in that arena um, to to represent what I know to be true and reflective of a biblical worldview. I'm not there to 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 try to press the the view of Doug, I, I, I truly want to do something that is good for my neighbors. Yes. Right. So. Yeah. And, and this is an interesting uh, matter to think about because you frame things both in the statement I quoted earlier and what you were just saying, not so much in terms of a party spirit, meaning in a reflexive sense. It's good to have different perspectives as you're talking about because, um, because you get the sharpening effect, I think. I fully agree. But I don't hear you saying, you know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Republican first and foremost. I, I highlight this because a lot of young evangelicals in particular would at least claim that they were raised in a kind of politicized faith environment. And there's all kinds of challenges there. But I, I don't hear you framing the issue in that sort of way first and foremost. You're there to basically serve God and serve neighbor, right? One of the major uh, functions and tasks you can fulfill duties you can perform for the rest of us who did not undertake the massive work of running a campaign and then actually getting elected. Uh, I mean, there were there were 16,000 votes in this election, for example. This is this is not a small thing, right? Right. Um, but you hold the water for the rest of us 
when it comes to, for example, it's just one issue, religious liberty. Mm-hmm. In the state of Missouri, I mean, it's up to you and your peers to figure out yes. whether we're going to have religious liberty, what kind we're going to have, whether we're not going to have it. And that's a major issue all over America right now with particular reference to the late stages of the sexual revolution. Yes. So in other words, all this to say, it can be easy to throw darts at those who are getting into politics as Christians because they're in danger of being partisanized, if you will. But man, it's also a challenge, isn't it, to think of no Christians being there? Well, this is an issue, um, Dr. Strand, that I that I um, that I struggle with, and mm. and, and, and I, I am deeply concerned about. Yes, I am encountering more and more uh, younger evangelicals in the various roles that I play that um, have told me that they've been told, instructed, counseled by peers. Um, that if they are going to be true to the gospel, if they're going to be true to the faith, that they should steer clear from political involvement, that okay. they should not consider ever formally becoming a part of uh, that process, whether that's uh, running for you know local school board or you know state representative, right, U.S. Congress, right. Uh, they're actually being told to not do that for fear of being unfaithful. So one, I would say. I absolutely reject uh, the idea of a, a, a sacred secular divide. It's all Christ. Hmm. Uh, there, is, there is value and dignity in all labor. Uh, if Romans 13 means anything, uh, it is a clear indication that God intends to work through those who are faithful to him in bringing blessing to human culture, human society, as those who function in governing authority itself, Right. Uh, to to instruct individuals away from that at a time when we desperately need people to engage, uh, I think is a travesty at a minimum. Mm. And I think it's a it's a um, it's a reflection of of underdeveloped uh, maybe an immaturity of of thought maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do think that we we have to acknowledge the fact that um, if we um, as evangelicals truly mean what we pray when we pray, um, some, somewhere close to the words of thy kingdom come, mm-hmm. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, then, you know, and, and even in addition to that, there, there have been so many times in prayer meetings and in other types of uh, convention uh, conferences and things of that nature, speaking with colleagues and people that, that you know, I know, what have you, people have talked for years about praying that God would raise men and women up who, who can engage the public square mm. and to, to represent what is true and right and just. We're praying for that and then turning around and telling people that they are uh, potentially giving in to a temptation to, to fall to an unfaithful uh, perspective if they dare even consider so we're, we're kind of suffering from somewhat of a schizophrenia, if you will. We're yeah. asking for one thing, yeah. and then when God appears to be raising people up, we shut it down. So I do think that we have to make sure that we keep our priorities straight. Yes? Right. Um, we, we are operating under the banner of Christ. We do not apologize for that. We are fundamentally affected by, not only changed by, but affected by um, the, the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yes? Um, in that, we can eagerly, joyfully, winsomely, mm-hmm. and convictionally engage the public square. Mm. 
And I think that that is something that drove me to, to even considering doing this in the first place. I was, getting, I was getting to a point in my ministry where I have been teaching and preaching about the importance of, of being involved, um, taking your faith wherever you are, and, um, and yet at the same time seeing that in, in certain circles, uh, we oftentimes will immediately assume that politicians are corrupt, mm. you can't trust them, don't like them, you know, have no, have, you know, I have no, no purpose for them whatsoever, right? Well, what ends up happening over time as people hear that and hear that and hear that, it begins to erode any interest on the part of those who might actually be gifted um, to serve in that capacity that could serve us very well. Yes. So I wanted to try to find a way uh, in, a, in a way that's honoring to the Lord, that is absolutely dependent upon his grace and his providence. Um, I want to be able to, to serve serve faithfully. And at some point down the road, we have term limits in Missouri, so that the most I can serve in this capacity is eight years. Uh, I want to be able to walk away at, at whatever point my service ends um, with having served with dignity and, and provided an example to my evangelical brothers and sisters in Christ, what it looks like for somebody who loves Christ, who believes um, passionately what the Bible teaches, who, who can engage the public arena, be involved for the good of their neighbors, hammer out those issues that, that really are critical, um, and walk away having not been corrupted by the very thing that we say you, you have to be corrupted by, right? Yes. I want people to be encouraged by, by an example that not only can you do it, maybe you should be doing this. Wow, Doug. That was strong. That was a strong word. And what I hear you articulating is there's a difference between so-called God and country, Christian politics, let's just call it that, Mm -hmm. versus salt and light, political engagement on the part of Christians. In other words, any Christian stepping into the political ring is not automatically sullied, dirtied to the point of compromised Christian witness. That's a danger. That's something we watch. We're careful. We're careful about every sphere of life, right? We're proper carparians here. And yet, if we're praying, as you're saying, for us to be salt and light as a a movement of Christians, let's say, or to to bring the will of God on earth, as as you've referenced several times, the Lord's Prayer, uh, rightly, then we should expect that somebody would have to actually put boots on Yes. And get dirty a little bit here, not not in terms of sin, right. but get in the muck and mire of this fallen world and this political some, order. Yeah, you got to put some finger fingerprints on the ball. I mean, you can't. It's yeah. not enough uh, for us to just sit back in the pews or in our living rooms and and curse the darkness and just in frustration, just you know whatever, right? Uh, if if we are deeply affected by what's taking place and we recognize some of that needs to be addressed. Um, we, we ought to, to the extent that we can, be involved and steward that, that citizenship. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm not, I'm not having to sell this to you. You, you know this to be true. <laughs> true. We, live in a, we live in a context that is, it, it's not absolutely unique, but it is, it is a very unique opportunity for us as Americans to live in this country. Um, when you look over the vast history of humanity, even when you look at, at biblical history, right, and you're looking at what Paul wrote and things, it was a vastly different governmental yes. system, right? Yes. Vastly. We, in many ways, I mean, you can absolutely say we are the government, right? We have a responsibility hmm. that, that is very unique to us in the history of mankind. We have been given this responsibility of 
participating in a process that people in other parts of this world would give their proverbial right arm for, and yet what do we do with it? And, and I, I think in many ways yeah. um, it, is so, it is so tempting for us to begin to operate in what I've kind of classified here recently as, as a kind of political agnosticism. Well, who can know? I mean, you can't believe anybody. You can't believe what the media says. You can't believe what politicians say. You can't, you can't believe what the, what the lobbyists say. You can't believe what the, the industries are saying. So I'm just going to sit home, right? I mean, it's just that kind of agnosticism. It's not possible to know, so therefore I'm just going to disengage. I think that we have to demonstrate as evangelicals a maturity of deep thinking and engage with a prayerful dependency upon God that he would grant us discernment and wisdom and, and put some, some skin in the game and say, listen, we are here. Uh, we are not those. And this is where C.S. Lewis had a profound inf- uh, influence on me uh, years ago. Uh, in an essay that he wrote, it was in a, a book, God in the Dock, right? Mm. So uh, it was an essay that I think he, he, he was able to caps, capture something that is important for us as, as Christians, and that is we, we are people in, 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 our, in our faith who recognize the value not only of what is to come, but of what is now as well. Mm-hmm. And as we work to mm. prepare people and to call people to faith in Christ to prepare them for what is to come— because that's eternal. I mean, that is, that is chief, right? But as we're doing that, we absolutely recognize the value of what God has created for us here and now. So we work and we labor and we sacrifice to see that, that which is good and right mm-hmm. displayed in this fallen world, this mm-hmm. world of brokenness and, and despair and heartache. People need what God has provided. But if we're unwilling to engage for fear that it might possibly corrupt us, yes. then we're, we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot, right? Yeah. And there's a corollary here between our other prayers, because when we're praying for people to be evangelized and ultimately won to Christ by God's sheer grace and mercy, right, we, we, don't, we don't pray prayers and then have everybody sit in the basement in the dark with the lights out uh, waiting for some sort of you know trumpet blast in the sky, yes, and 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 some sort of weird mystical announcement of soul saved. No, that's the opposite of of how Scripture would instruct us in a way, frankly, that can be a little bit mysterious to us and even um, uh, human earthly wisdom defying. We're supposed to totally leave this to God in terms of praying. So that's primary, mm-hmm. but then. If you want to see your neighbors evangelized, you're actually, uh, not in a proud way, of course, and, and, and never thinking that you know exactly how God will save anyone, but you're actually kind of supposed to see yourself as the answer to that prayer. Yes. In other words, you pray the prayer, Lord, help me to be a witness to my family, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my peers. And then you're supposed to not sit on your hands and not miss conversational opportunities to share the gospel in the same way. Uh, you evaluate this in just a second here, this little overheated little matter here. But in the same way, you don't pray for someone to be salt and light and sit in the basement with the lights out, right? Yes. Okay. You're right. We got it sorted here. Well, I, I, you know, it is what it is. But I, I will tell you, um, the, the, the frust- one of the frustrations that I ran into, and, and I know we've got to be uh, judicious with the time here, but— um, No, this is great. One of the, one of the frustrations that, that, I, that I ran into, and I—, I Honestly, I, I don't know that I expected it. Um, it wasn't all that shocking, but maybe just to the degree or the way it manifested itself. 
Um, I, I, I have over the two decades plus of pastoral ministry come to know a lot of people in different places uh, within our convention. And as I, was, as I have been speaking with those brothers, um, you know, I was met with, with uh, support and encouragement and prayer. Um, but within those relationships as well as more broadly um, among just Christians in general, when you begin to talk about um, practical help, Mm. Um, this is a team sport. Uh, it, you, there's no way for an, an individual <laughs> to run for office, win, and then serve and continue to serve as just an individual who's out there independently running, you know, whatever, right? So um, one of the things that was frustrating is the fact that you have, you have this disconnect, and I don't know that we are we're all that adept at either knowing how or, or why um, this kind of engagement becomes important because when, when I would come, would like to think that in God's providence, um, that, that he compelled me to do this. Yes. yes. Okay. I, I'm sensitive to not putting words in God's mouth, but yes. I, I feel that I can say that I, I have sensed a, a clear sense in which God has compelled me to do this for a season. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking to people and again, knowing that people have been praying for that kind of thing. And then when they meet that um, situation where maybe, just maybe, that prayer is, is actually coming to fruition in one particular setting, yes, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it because they, they're like, well, I don't want to offend my friends. Yes. I don't want someone to get the wrong impression. I don't want someone to think that, I am my, that my God is becoming the Republican Party uh, yes. or government or whatever. Um, I, I don't want my name to appear on some list because that will then jeopardize this or that. And to that, I say, you know, I understand that we, yes. we live in a very um, hyper partisan you know, time frame. Right. And, and there are real risks out there. And we're seeing that happen more and more frequently, unfortunately. But that being said, as as believers, we 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 do acknowledge at times, don't we, that sacrifice is a part of this life. Yes. Doing the right thing for the right reasons um, uh, does involve risk. And I, and I think that, unfortunately, in many circles, and I think it's becoming more and more of a broad perspective, you know, it's a perspective that's being seen more and more in a, in a broad category of people, that we are wanting to chart a course where we can be convictional and yet comfortable and free from any kind of pushback or potential risk. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work that way. Mm. Uh, This is what I know. If we want people to stand for what is true, what is right, what is just, we have to find a way as believers to be, to, to participate in the supply line to make sure that when those individuals who are on the front line that are that really are in many ways, I think you can appropriately say, are battling it out um, in the public arena, when they need to find some and, and and supply comes in many different forms, right? I, I'm not talking about just one form of supply, but but there are many different forms in which a person can be supplied by those who who believe in what's happening, right? If those individuals finding themselves in a very difficult time look behind them for supply, and no one's there. Mm. Mm. That is a problem. Mm. Um, and we as evangelicals are expecting individuals to do that for us who don't share our faith. They're culturally conservative. 
They're fiscally conservative, but for reasons that aren't tied to a particular anchor that is immovable the way that our anchor is. And those individuals, when they turn around and look for supply, again, using the analogy of, of a battlefield, right? Mm-hmm. When they look to their supply line and there's no supply there, they begin to shift on that line trying to find where that supply is actually um, arriving. Mm-hmm. And again, within that analogy, I think that's appropriate because what not, not that their adjusting is appropriate, but I think the analogy is appropriate because they're trying to find a way to continue doing what they know to be right, but they have to – it's uh, like um, what's been said uh, in, in terms of local church ministry – um, the gospel is free, but someone's got to pay for the lights. Yes, yes. So the same type of thing. I mean, we, we are working and we're laboring and we're trying to stand for what is right. But there's a point at which the lights have to come on. And if the lights aren't coming on, you shift until you can find where that switch is at. And then the lights come on and then you continue doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think evangelicals have got to find a way to engage in that arena uh, in a way that is consistent with our with our biblical ethic, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that's consistent with our understanding that Christ is chief, um, but in a way that is that is uh, indicative of a true conviction that would say, you know what, I believe in this, and I will put my skin in this. Um, I will put my money where my mouth is. This is important, and it is appropriate to do. And in doing it, it does not mean whatsoever that I've made government or politics, my God. I can have God, the creator, my God, mm-hmm. Christ who saved me. I am serving him, but because I'm serving him, I recognize that he has put in our context something for our good, and we are going to work that thing um, for all it's worth for the glory of Christ. That's strong, Doug. Thank you for that. I I, I hear so much wisdom there. Um, to, to use the issue I was referencing earlier, just as one example here, men like you and me, Christians like us would say that the Great Commission is, is the church's mission, right? And yet we also would say that strengthening and preserving religious liberty in the political realm is a key part of Great Commission work. There's a tremendous uh, correlation to draw between the unprecedented religious freedom we have enjoyed in America in about 250 years and the, the contributions the American church has been able to make by God's sheer grace to global missions. So we don't think you have to have religious liberty for people to get saved or the gospel to advance, but we do recognize that there has been nothing less than tremendous good uh, because of the religious freedom we have, uh, been, we have had preserved here. And yet that requires, at least in part, people who stand on the wall, watchmen on the wall, Uh, in the public square realm, perhaps even figures who recognize they're actually trying to ultimately serve the Great Commission. But uh, but they're there nonetheless. Uh, They're there because it's right. They're there because of God's call, and they're trying to play their role. Absolutely. You are right. You do not have to have religious liberty to be faithful to the mission that Christ has given us. I would say this. If if Christ and his providence has given us a, a liberty that in other parts of this world does not exist. Yes. And we utilize that liberty, but we don't recognize the importance of protecting that liberty. Um, Then I think that we might find ourselves accountable for squandering uh, a gift that God has given us. Um, I I don't think that we, we stake the entire farm on 
you know, we have to we have to preserve this religious liberty or else, you know, we will not see the kingdom of Christ come, right? But at the same time, any gift that God gives us, if we don't value it and steward it and invest it, and he returns and finds us having squandered it, and he's like, I gave you this. Yeah. I did not give it to them. Mm. I gave this to you, and you didn't see fit to protect it, to invest in it, to, to, to fully um, uh, deploy that gift. Uh, shame on us. Yeah. To close it here, um, we've got to be willing in pursuit of the glory of God, daily holiness, faithfulness to Christ. We've got to be willing to get a little dirt on our boots, frankly. And I think you've issued a strong call toward that end, a principled, charitable call, and yet a strong and needed call for today. I would say to pastors out there, pastors, uh, your, your mission is uh, Great Commission-oriented, uh, teaching and training, discipleship and evangelism. But I would also say, um, pray for those in your congregation that they would be watchmen on the wall in the civilizational sense. Pray for them, support them, encourage them, uh, meet with them, help them, not because they're super Christians, but, uh, but because they are serving this salt and light function in a special way. Now, of course, Doug, for you, that's going to be very strange because you're going to meet to pray for yourself. <laughs> yes. But nonetheless, uh, you can get that done. Thank you so much for being on the Thank podcast. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.